welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bridging Chicago. I'm Savannah Roundtree, one of our hosts for the podcast. And joining me today, we have Jenna Gobig, who is uh, joining us today as the Associate Board President of the Eisenberg Foundation. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. Savannah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, Just a quick note to our listeners before we really get into it. Today, we are trying out our first uh, video recording. So bear with us if we seem to have any technological issues or um, anything of the sort. And, you know, look for, you know, possibly a video edition of this podcast or other you know, video tidbits from us, you know, may or may not be coming out depending on how well this video recording does. Um, and we, you know, want to especially thank Jenna for joining us under these circumstances being our guinea pig for this uh, video format. Um, but it is very refreshing to be able to look at our guests again. I have missed uh, face-to-face conversations on this podcast. Um so I think we're going to jump right into it, and I'll ask the first question that I um, usually ask of all our guests is, Jenna, are you from the Chicago area originally? I am. I actually grew up in the Plainfield and Joliet area in the southwest burbs, so coming to Chicago was a treat for me. Yeah. Um, I did not grow up in the city, but I was very firm in my belief that someday I would move to the big city, and here I am. <laughs> Good. So you uh, always wanted to come to Chicago. Absolutely. Um, City of big shoulders. Everybody is lovely here. And I could not think of a better decision to make. Yeah. Is uh, Joliet, I'm not from Illinois originally. Um, Is Joliet within the radius of where you can be like, oh, I'm from Chicago to other people or is it outside? Absolutely. (laughs) It is when, when, Folks ask me where I'm from. I say, well, now I can very safely say I'm from Chicago because I live here. But when I was younger, you know, most people actually do know Joliet because of Stateville Prison. It's it's the maximum security okay. prison in <laughs> Illinois. And so most folks know of Stateville. They think of Blues Brothers, Route 66. And um, but I certainly identified with being from Chicago land, and sometimes I would easily cheat and say I was from Chicago. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then I saw that you went to um, University of Illinois Urbana Champaign, um, where you were studying architecture. So, how did you get into wanting to study architecture? How did that come about? Um, is that something you always wanted to do? So it, interesting. So I'll, I'll start at Joliet West High School and shout out to my alma sure. mater in Joliet. Um, I was always interested in design. Building Legos was my favorite activity. I'd want to build Legos, building cities, but I never wanted to play with them. I just wanted to build them. So um, I knew there was some interest in, in architecture, but I, I was thinking more the realm of interior design. So I decided in high school to take an art class. Okay. So I think it might have been in my first week and a half of the art class where the teacher came up to me and and she was like, Jenna, you know, you don't have to erase every, every line you draw. You don't, it's just an apple. You can get the shadows, right? It's, it's, you know, it's very organic. And, and here I was just really struggling with this organic form and I wanted to just erase every line and try to be more perfect and more precise. And she made the suggestion that I try a drafting class. So I switched over to drafting, and uh, I really credit um, Mr. Popek, who was my drafting teacher at Joliet West High School, for really getting me involved in 
architecture, drafting, design, 3D modeling. And from there on out, I knew that I wanted to become an architect. So um, before I went to U of I, I went to Juliet Junior College. Another shout out to my hometown, um, a great community college. I did two years and got my associate's degree there. Had incredible mentors that prepared me to go down to U of I in Champaign. And then I headed down and I haven't looked back. I I, um, studied architecture in my undergrad at the University of Illinois. I met my husband studying abroad in um, Versailles, France, in the architecture program there during undergrad. And then we both went to grad school for architecture at the University of Illinois. And I also got my um, master's of business administration there. So I am um, definitely in ILL, Ally and I, and uh, have strong, strong ties to Champaign-Urbana. Yeah, and that's um, like a very, um, sort of seems like your whole life is sort of spurred from that one like art class switch and it's um I think it's really incredible that you had such good mentors that were like I see what you're trying to do but I think like we're really helpful in like guiding where your passions were I think that's so important for um you know teenagers and young adults to have that sort of influence in their life um and it sounds like you had um some really great influences there. Absolutely. It's one of those situations where if you fall down and you're not succeeding, you know, look up, see if there's another path for you. And and that's what I did. And I committed to it. And architecture school is very time consuming. It's very complicated and difficult. I remember days and weeks and months spent in studio from you know, before breakfast until after midnight every day and the commitment that you have to the architecture practice and to the design practice just gets so ingrained in who you are. And no matter what feedback you get on your design, you're going to pull yourself back up and try something new because failure isn't an option. Um, And it it wasn't for me down at U of I. And um, I definitely credit a lot of the professors down there for my successes, not only in school, but in some of the social initiatives that I took part in, um, working in East St. Louis with the community members there, and just really getting into grassroots design solutions for communities, um, particularly underprivileged communities. And so the passion just kind of grew from there. And again, it's that idea that failure isn't an option, the foolish weight you know, go be bold and um, try something new and, and find ways to succeed. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, and that's sort of how I feel about going into my life is like, even if, you know, one, like minute failure does not have to disrupt your whole life, like retool it, go back, look at things like don't give up, keep working yes. is sort of how I see failure is not an option as well as just like, keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's important to encourage students and friends and colleagues to do that, especially this year has been so challenging for for everyone. And we've had some major, incredible social movements that have been born out of this transformation period and, and living and breathing to those ideals that keep pushing, try harder, failure isn't an option, we will prevail um, has certainly been kind of the mantra that I've looked the uh, the mantra and lens that I've looked through life this year because it has been full of curveballs. Yeah, I mean that's so. really. Yeah, I think that's really the only way you can look at it is we <laughs> have to get through this. We will get through this, even if we have to, you know, uh, create new ways to get through it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about after college, I've been looking at, I always like to look at everyone's LinkedIn profiles is where I get most of my research for this. And it seems like you went directly into sort of more project management roles. Um, And I'm curious as to how you get into that and what, um, is that a product of going through your master's program? And what is project management in terms of architecture uh, really mean? Great question. And it's a question that I receive often because it's so easy to just say, I'm an architect. 
and everybody knows what that means. Everyone knows what an architect does. Yeah, um, pencils behind the ear, a big yeah. drafting table. It's probably much more on the computer now, but you know, absolutely is big buildings. Um, but I'm still very much involved in the process. So I did a, um, I did have a wonderful job right out of college at OKW Architects. I worked on some beautiful, massive development projects. And I also had the opportunity to work on some single family homes, some country club work. And I knew going in that I'm not the best designer. I'm not a Frank Lloyd Wright. I'm not a genie gang. I have talents that are stronger in other fields. And although I have a very keen eye for design and I appreciate the built environment so immensely, I think that my talents lie in organizing the entire effort. So, you know, you have an architect and the work that they're doing is a piece of a very large puzzle that has to be put together to have a successful development project and a successful project. And I really wanted to have the opportunity to be the person putting those puzzle pieces together and ensuring that at the very end that the puzzle is done, there's no missing pieces and it was delivered, you know, masterfully on time for the client that we're working for. So that is project management. We take all of the components of a real estate project and we ensure that they come together and they are delivered on time and on budget. So um, I did decide to, uh, go to project management advisors for several years where I worked as a project manager on some wonderful projects. Um, Ida Crown Jewish Academy in Skokie was one of my um, most favorite projects that I worked on. Um, also some developments in the West Loop for some prolific development uh, companies and also for some tech companies, some office and, and tenant improvement work for tech companies and really just enjoy the challenge of taking all of these problems and the challenges of a project and navigating solutions, coming up with actionable um, you know, moments where you can just move on and move forward and continue on successfully. And, and I work very closely with architects. I am married to one. Um, and you know, he is, he is the yin to my yang. He is the designer and I'm the project manager. So together we think we can do anything, um, which we can. Yes. And we can get any building built yeah, you know, our own home renovation that we're hopefully going to start, uh, working oh, wow. on very shortly here. So <laughs> I will make sure that we're on schedule yeah. and on budget. You know, I mean, I think those are pretty key to a home renovation. I have to say you are being an excellent guest because you're just like covering all these next questions that I want to hit. Um, I was going to ask, you know, because um, architecture is so precise and, you know, getting into project management, like, do you find these skills um sort of transferring into other aspects of your life. And it seems pretty clear that it does since, you know, it seems like uh, married to an architect, working on your home renovation. I know that, you know, you uh, mentioned already the other, um, the um, underprivileged communities work you were doing. And I know you work for the Eisenberg Foundation. It all seems sort of um, very precise. <laughs> um, do you find that you were naturally that sort of person like keyed into details or was it something that you had to learn through school and working on the jobs? Savannah, that's a great question. I have always been magnetized and attracted to problem solving. So if yeah. there is a problem, I would love to be the first one raising my hand to try to fix it. And so Project management is just that. It is trying to find and pull all the, the big problems to the surface as early as possible to manage your risk as you march down the line. And it absolutely, I mean, it, it is so, in, it's just who I am as a person. I want to, to be at the forefront to innovate and trailblaze and, and make it work. Um, you know, I have plenty of Tim Gunn make it work moments in my life where we just have to deal with what we're given. 
and make it work. Um, and it's just very much who I am. And I think I grew up as a problem solver. I grew up as the middle child. My sister's five years older. My brother is 18 okay. months younger. And I was always the mediator between the two of them somehow. And I was always interested in dissolving conflicts in any way that I possibly could, which came in handy as the middle child. Um, but absolutely, it's, it's, uh, it's key to my success. And, and I really just enjoy doing that. And I think that's what my career has afforded me is being able to really leverage those skills. Yeah, that's great. I have sort of a similar like problem solving mentality. And that's why I went into the legal field because I like, you know, picking apart people's <laughs> words and stuff. And as the oldest of five children, I really like to be in charge of <laughs> situations. And, uh, I understand the conflict mediation <laughs> as well there. Um, you talked about trailblazing just a second ago. And um, I just wondered when I think of the architecture field, it seems to be a sort of male dominated field in my mind. Is that the case? I think, and I, well, I don't think, I know, and I'm very confident that the scales are tipping. When I was yeah. in college, it was about a 50 50 split between male and female, okay. um, which is an incredible advancement from the mature architects professionally in the industry today, those who are gearing up to retire, it's, it's very clearly male dominated. And so it is so incredible to see women rising up. We've been given this path, this amazing opportunity for career equality that people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg paved those, those trails for us as a woman. And we are getting there. And I have many friends were women who are architects and they've gone on even into the engineering world, which is even more male dominated. So a good friend of mine, she's an architect and a structural engineer, and she is just paving this incredible way. And, you know, we're, we're breaking down those barriers. And I have a lot of confidence that the future of architecture and design is female. That's great to hear. Um, have you found that, you know, as you go through career, has there um, been pushback from like the industry at large about this increase in women in the field or have they been helpful? Have they been helping to create pathways or have you and your female colleagues been having to sort of make your own pathways? I think it's imperative that the women in the industry demand a seat at the table you know, we want to be in the room where it happens, right? And we have to ensure that we are breaking down barriers if they are not broken down or removed for us. And I think this industry is working toward that in, in a significant fashion. Um, I'm involved in some organizations that are all female in the real estate industry. Um, there's great organizations like Crew, which is Commercial Real Estate Executive Women. They have an incredible network of women across the nation that will stop and help you at a moment's notice because we know that if we are banded together, we are going to be able to break down more barriers. And so the organizations out there that are really encouraging this are helping pave the way as well. Yeah, that's great to hear. I can't wait to get involved myself. I just um, sat for the bar. And so I'm about to be officially a full-blown attorney. And uh, thank you um, in, uh, you know, real estate adjacent business. So I'm excited to add my own name to those numbers of uh, women working in the real estate field in various ways. Um, Congratulations, Savannah. That It's an incredible accomplishment. You should be so, so proud of yourself and all of the women that sit beside you to take the bar. It is an immense, of immense challenge. I passed. <laughs> all of my fingers um, and toes are crossed. Yeah. Um, actually, a classmate of mine gave birth in the middle of the bar. So oh like goodness. really big props to her. Women are really out there doing it. <laughs> um, you know, just remember everything that men do, women did while, you know, wearing lipstick and heels and sometimes while physically giving birth during it. <laughs> so. Absolutely. We, you know, inherent to, to our biological makeup, we are 
always carrying more weight. And for the first three months of COVID quarantine, I had a three-year-old sitting on my lap all day at work because he wanted to work with mom and he wanted to be by mom. And it's nothing against my husband. He loves him equally, but there's just this magnet of, of children's to their mothers and having to do what we do and pave our own way in our professional careers to climb that corporate ladder while being mothers, while managing our bodies, which is very complicated and keeping our own health in check and remembering that self-care is so important for us. It's very hard to do because we are so in tune with taking care of everyone around us and it's our instinct. And so yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And so I, I am a champion for any working mom out there and for all moms who are raising their children and are at home. They're the real heroes because that is something that I couldn't do. I have to go to work. Um, so I really, really value the, the moms who stay at home because that is incredibly challenging work and it's often very thankless and it shouldn't be. It's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I had a stay-at-home mom growing up. She raised all five of us, and now she's a nurse. Um, I think it's easier to be a nurse than it was uh, to raise the five children. It's uh, nonstop, thankless work. I can't believe you're doing that while also working. You said you're climbing the corporate ladder, and you know everything you just said, I know you're doing. And in addition to that, you work on these boards, uh, various foundations and nonprofits. It sounds like, um, from what you said before, you've sort of always been engaged in this work of serving underprivileged communities. Um, and now you are the associate board president of the Eisenberg Foundation. So how did you initially get involved with the Eisenberg Foundation? And maybe, maybe going along with that, explain to our listeners what the Eisenberg Foundation does. Absolutely. So I'll preface all this with, I came from very humble beginnings and, and I am the first person in my immediate family to go to college and to get oh a graduate You're just degree. trailblazing all over the place here. <laughs> Did I, I love getting women on the podcast that are just like getting everything done, just um, trying to come up with words that don't have curses in them, but I think <laughs> a great job. We get it done and we get it done because we have the motivation to make a change. And that's, that's where I am today and why I'm here today. And, and um, in college, I knew that getting involved in organizations was going to help me transition to the next step. And that's my career, right? We graduate and in the world of architecture, Unlike business or finance, we, we don't have jobs lined up nine months before graduation. We're, we're hunting and, right. and you know fighting for jobs in March before we graduate in May in hopes that by June we have a steady paycheck. And so I knew going into my last couple of years of graduate school that I really needed to focus on starting to bridge the gap between college and my career and getting involved in organizations at the university level started that for me. So actually how I got involved in the Eisenberg Foundation is in my graduate school program, one of my close friends in my MBA program invited me to participate in a real estate development challenge, a case study, a case challenge as the architect on the team, you know, they were on the finance side, real estate development side, and they needed someone to come in and give some design direction on their development so we could see if it was feasible. And the challenge happened to be surrounding Cabrini Green and the space that was and historically has been Cabrini Green in Chicago. And so with my background and my interest in communities and especially underserved communities, I took that as an incredible opportunity to get involved and really challenge what real estate is and has been about the economic bottom line. And I wanted to ensure that whatever design was created, it was going to think socially about the communities at in the Cabrini Green area because those people were uprooted from their homes 
and their their homes were leveled to the ground and they were sent far away and they their whole place was demolished. And so getting involved in the challenge, I was so incredibly interested in being the design force behind it. And so looking at housing options that were you know, um, a multitude of incomes that had a connection to the ground level and they just weren't towers in the sky that, you know, densely placed people, but really people were able to have a connection with sidewalks and walkable cities. And so I dove into that challenge and the challenge was for the Eisenberg Foundation and our team collectively, a, quite a dynamic group of us presented and we won the first challenge that the foundation um, hosted. So <laughs> that was my beginnings with the Eisenberg Foundation. And I can tell you a little bit more about who the foundation is and its Yeah, beginnings. why don't you tell us yeah, about Yes, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. the Harold E. Eisenberg Foundation was founded in 1999. And it was founded in its namesake for Hal Eisenberg, who was a prolific real estate developer in Chicago and he was diagnosed with liver and pancreatic cancer and died within a matter of weeks. It was completely shell shock for his family and friends and colleagues. And his family and friends decided to start a foundation that really and truly exuded who Hal was as a person. And that was a person who really believed in real estate education and giving back to students as a means of empowering them and enriching their careers and future careers. But also the foundation and the family and friends were just so absolutely hurt and devastated by the loss of Hale to liver and pancreatic cancer that they wanted to start a research program for GI cancers. And so it's a two-pronged mission foundation. We focus on real estate education and we focus on GI cancer research. And we have done some incredible things in the last 20 years that we have been a foundation. We work with Northwestern Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center. We have a dedicated tissue bank for GI cancers. And we are funding research with some of the most incredible and intelligent doctors around the world who are striving to find a cure for GI cancers. At the same time, yeah. we have an amazing group of people, volunteers in the real estate industry that are focused on giving back to students and ensuring the students who are in school today have the opportunities and have the, the most level playing field possible to enter the real estate industry and make the best impact that they can. So we provide a lot of hands-on programs and real-world real estate education opportunities mm -hmm. to real estate students in the Midwest. And we are very quickly branching to a national level. Yeah. Um, I first heard about the Eisenberg Foundation um, by going to events uh, through SATC. Um, I was very interested to hear about this, um, you know, education and, you know, uh, Cancer Research Foundation. Uh, so I have an uncle who died a few years ago of pancreatic cancer. Um, and, you know, I work in this adjacent real estate field. And, um, you know, one thing, the first thing I noticed about the Eisenberg Foundation is you all throw great events. Um, they're always a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, you go to a lot of these uh, sort of real estate adjacent real estate events. Um, and you see a lot of just white men and like a few white women. But at the Eisenberg Foundation events, I do notice there that they're usually a much more diverse group of people, um, which is always great to see. And I know that, um, you know, whenever I look at the current scholars of the Eisenberg Foundation and the people that are winning the challenges and the students that they're supporting, it is a um, a very diverse group of people, which I love to see. I think it's great work that the foundation is doing to, because real estate is sort of like a field that you kind of have to get in by like knowing other people, Absolutely. by networking a lot. Um, and the Eisenberg Foundation has really opened up that networking to a more diverse community of people. And I think that that is really important work that they're doing in addition to, you know, also cancer research. 
Critical. Savannah, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you bringing it up. We are very focused on ensuring that the future of real estate is diverse in every way possible. It it is not an industry that is all white and is all male in the future. And we are absolutely working as hard as we can to ensure that the students that we are reaching out to are an incredible balance of of races, ethnicities, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses. It's incredibly critical for us to be inclusive and have diverse programs that reach out to students all across the board. And we also work closely with the Embark program, which is a program based in Chicago with inner city kids who have incredible potential and they are given wonderful opportunities to learn about professions, to learn about what is beyond just their neighborhood that they live in. And you wouldn't believe how incredibly contained some of these children and high school students are within their own neighborhoods because of violence or gang violence or whatever it might be. They haven't had an opportunity to see what future could behold them. So it's critical for us to be involved with high school and college students to ensure they know what opportunities are available in the industry of real estate. This is not all about who's the biggest developer. You have property management, you have architecture and design, you have construction management, you have financing and banking. I mean, the the possibilities are truly endless. And part of what we're doing is ensuring that we are educating the students about what their potential could be and what opportunities are out there. And so access is critical and we're working hard to ensure that our programs are are moving in the direction to ensure we have very equal access to all walks of life because it's so critical to our mission to ensure that the future of real estate is Mm -hmm. absolutely well-rounded and it has a holistic view on who we are as, as you know, the people of the United States of America on this beautiful melting pot that we live in. And we should be representative of that. Yeah, I can tell that it's really important to you and the foundation that, um, you know, those students are reached. And I think you're doing a great job. And I can tell that, you know, there's even more coming on the horizon. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, so you mentioned um, your first uh, entry into the Eisenberg Foundation was by participating in one of their challenges. Yes. How did you go from being a participant, you know, sort of a student recipient of the Eisenberg Foundation to being the associate board president? I assume it wasn't just you won <laughs> so you can have this job. Not quite, not quite. Well, you know, there was such a high coming out of winning the challenge and, and, you know, the, the judges really seeing the benefits of the proposal that we put forth for this incredibly diverse, um, you know, multi-income, multi-use space that we were designing. And, and that really spurred my interest in real estate development because previously I was very much on a design track and architecture and design and, thought that I would be a project manager at an architecture firm. And this opportunity that my friend involved me in, and I'll give him a shout out, Matt Lesh. (laughs) He is the one who really brought me in to the foundation. And once we won the challenge, I knew that I needed to give back, right? So something so wonderful was afforded to me how can I turn that into something that is going to help students in the future? So I stayed involved with the foundation until I graduated um, with my graduate degrees and moved to Chicago, which was a lifelong dream of mine, and started working at an architecture firm and immediately started attending associate board meetings every month with the Eisenberg Foundation because I knew that it was a great networking opportunity. I was interested in real estate development. This great group of people was getting together on a monthly basis and it was a small organization and really there there was so much room for impact. And so that was in 2012 and here we are. Fast forward eight years 
I've been involved very heavily, you know, from um, stepping in as chair, co-chair of um, organizing the future real estate challenges, getting involved in the education committee with the foundation, and really just trying to give back because the opportunity was given to me to get involved and change tacts in my career. And I really wanted to um, ensure that, you know, my being thankful was, was, you know, one of my, um, you know, what resulted from it. So anyways, fast forward eight years, and here I am as the president of the associate board. I sit on the board of directors and the executive committee, and I've recently um, taken on being the chair of our diversity and inclusion committee, um, leading an, an amazing group of professionals in ensuring that all of our programs moving forward, because I do think they have always been very inclusive, but really pushing us to that next level. It's critical for us to continue paving these roads and ensuring that when any student opens that door, that the access for them is absolutely the same as the next student. And we want to be that the foundation that really exudes that in the real estate community. Yeah, I assume you see um, a lot of crossover in sort of project management of your actual job and of board of directors. Is there... Um, is there like a big difference in how you manage um, sort of the more technical architectural things versus the more interpersonal, um, you know, board positions? Absolutely. There has to be. Um, I, I do say, though, that I lead everything I do with compassion and and just a really fun energy. I, I don't want anyone in my professional life to walk into a meeting with me and say, oh, another meeting with Jenna. She's just going to harp on me for what I haven't done and what I need to get done. No, I, I want them to want to show up. Mm -hmm. And I want people to be motivated and to be in love with what they do. And so the core of who I am is ensuring that in everything I do, there's compassion, there's understanding, there's empathy, and there's also seriousness. We do have work to do. Mm -hmm. I understand when you know we can't attend meetings or or we miss deadlines or what have you, we all have lives. Mm -hmm. We all have a lot going on. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Yeah. There, you know, we're often juggling four balls while we're sitting on a video conference mm -hmm. um, in a meeting trying to get work done. So, how I lead with the foundation is it's a little bit different because it's on a different timeline. Mm -hmm but it's still with that same level of compassion and care that I do in my day-to-day -day job. I, I don't want anyone to, again, I don't want anyone to want to avoid me for this or that reason because I'm a bulldog. I'm not here to be a bulldog. I'm here to get work done, but I'm here to get it done in a fun, enjoyable, and, you know, highly motivating yeah, way. I mean, those are the best managers to have, the ones that motivate you rather than sort of, you know, force you and breathe down your neck to do things. Um, so you mentioned, you know, we're all juggling all these balls and, you know, it's 2020. So we've been, you know, in addition to everything, we're usually juggling. We also are dealing with a global pandemic. Um, and, you know, I mentioned, um, yeah. you know, the Eisenberg Foundation uh, throws these really great events um, for education, for cancer. Um, and they're obviously usually in-person events. <laughs> um, but so how has the foundation shifted? How have you had to shift, um, you know, the way you're working and what things you're doing in order to, um, you know, still facilitate the foundation's work during this pandemic? It has been yeah. a challenge, Savannah. I don't think anyone would ever dull the fact that switching from in-person events and fundraisers and student programming to virtual environments has been anything short of a major challenge. I think that the foundation staff are incredible. They are so versatile and I absolutely love the people who sit on the board of directors and on the associate board because they show up mm -hmm. and they're there to help problem solve in this incredibly unique and unprecedented time. So we've shifted 
all of our programs because very few of our programs were ever virtual <laughs> um, to a full virtual platform. And we were sitting in board meetings in April trying to think of how we could pivot our summer programs and thinking that, oh, it's only going to be our summer programs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about our marquee annual dinner in the fall or Eisenopoly next January. And here we are. Yep. And it, it didn't take very long for us to realize after that, that we were going to have to shift everything virtual. And the think tanks and the creativity and our incredible sponsors who are also showing up in a time where the economy is, is troubled, especially in the real estate industry right now, where everything just stopped mm -hmm. in March. You know, we're so lucky to have commitments from our marquee sponsors for the events that we're planning on hosting. And we have an incredible event that the entire Eisenberg Foundation is working day in and day out on, and it is a real estate summit in January, January 25th through 29th. It is 100% dedicated to students, and we are pulling together an immense program and the best talent in the real estate industry to come together and create amazing educational programs and opportunities for students who are sitting in dorm rooms or mm -hmm. sitting in their on their parents' couches because they didn't go back to university in person this year and they're not networking. There's their job opportunities are scarce and we're trying to give them opportunities for that have hope for next year that they might have an internship or they might learn something about the retail industry or industrial um, career connections. We have just we have a lot of hope for what we can do and how we can reach our students virtually. Mm -hmm. And we're working hard and we're, we're so excited that we've announced this summit and hope that we break records with attendance because we really think the students are going to have such great opportunities to learn. Um, and also professionals in the industry to come together on uh, one of the nights of the summit to really focus on our programs and how thankful and grateful we are for their support and to talk about what the future of real estate is. Yeah. So we, we have risen to the challenge internally. We call it stepping toward the challenge. It has been nothing but a challenge, uh -huh. but we have risen, we've stepped and we are in it. Um, and we're really excited to see how everything turns out. And I have utmost confidence that it will be a smashing success. Yeah. It definitely sounds like you guys are uh, meeting the challenge head on. I'm excited to see. And if you're interested, and hearing more about the summit, um, we're going to do a separate, um, uh, more informational segment about the summit itself if you're interested in hearing about that. And we'll have um, links wherever the podcast is posted to learn more about the summit as well. Um, so Jenna, as I've been listening to you talk, it really comes through um, you know, how important these uh, students are to you and to your mission uh, personally and for the foundation. And I get the sense that some of that comes from you yourself being a student that was so benefited. So, you know, you know, personally what rewards can be given, but you know, what sort of, what is it about those students that really inspire? It is so clear that they inspire you to do this work. So what is it really that does like, uh, lead that inspiration? Students are the future of our industry. They are absolutely going to run the companies that I work at someday. And I want to ensure that they have all of the tools that they need to be their best self and their authentic selves as they show up for work every day. And I just, I've never seen such hunger and motivation and passion than I do in college students who are, who are ready for the next step and they're eager to to step out of universities and step into the industry. And, you know, I want to be on the forefront of helping them get there because I want to make sure that they have what they need to get to the start line of their career. And I want to make sure that they're ready to win. They're ready to win the Olympic, you know, long distance run because they've been given the right tools to get to that start line and put their running shoes on and just, run as fast as they can. And 
I was one of those students and I was a beneficiary of one single event that I said yes to participating in that changed my view on my career and it did change my career path. And I want to make sure that we have that reach to as many students as possible so they know their potential before they get their diploma. Yeah. So as we're talking, you know, obviously you're geared towards the future in terms of, you know, you just recalibrated your summit for, you know, uh, upcoming, but it also sounds like you have sort of broader future plans. You talked about expanding beyond the Midwest and stuff. So what are you really excited about in terms of the future of the Iceberg Foundation? Just that, Savannah, I am very excited to branch out beyond the Midwest and start reaching students in the Southeast and the Southwest and the Western states. And who knows, I would love to go international because I work in a global market and I would love to do that um, with the foundation. But I'm very excited for our ability to use technology and come out of this pandemic with utter and, you know, a perfect understanding of our tools that are at our fingertips on our laptops and through social media and through our connections across the country and really just grow our network so we can impact more and more students. And with that is going to become more reach to potential donors and companies and individuals that want to commit to our cancer research mission because we're all here trying to fight against one of the most deadly cancers that exists while trying to keep, you know, real estate students, you know, um, Mm -hmm. absolutely at the forefront with hands-on education opportunities. And so if we can use our, our networks to push down the barriers of geography and really get our reach to a national level, from our education programs, mm-hmm. we're really going to fuel our GI cancer research initiatives mm-hmm. and hopefully just push them to the next level. And so, you know, your family member, my uncle who passed away this year of pancreatic cancer, my husband's godfather who passed away of liver cancer. So these people have a chance at life. Yeah. And we have the cancer programs that are going to help extend and, and, you know, make their lives more, um, livable. And so that is why I'm here. And that's what we need to do as a foundation and expand our reach to a national level. And I'm very excited to, to be at the cutting edge of that with Peter and Katie and the entire team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's great that you mentioned that. Cause I think, um, Sometimes if you hear that this foundation does uh, both cancer research and real estate education, it can seem like sort of two divergent paths that don't cross a lot. But, um, you know, from what you just said, it's very clear that the mission for both aspects is very interwoven throughout the foundation. And you know, you're constantly working not only on education, but in, you know, expanding that network, not only to reach students, but to reach, to get the message out about the importance of this research and to, you know, get more funding for the cancer research as well. Absolutely. And we really appreciate being able to talk to you, Savannah, and, and hopefully we'll, you know, find some new fans out there in, in your audience to get involved with this organization. Absolutely. Be sure to check out the Harold Eisenberg Foundation. There'll be links and everything. Um, we're just about to wrap up unless there's anything else that you wanted to cover. I have a few uh, you know, more Chicago-based questions just that I like to ask to wrap up. Absolutely. Shy town um, Yeah, so usually I ask the question of like, what is your favorite thing to do in Chicago? But right now that's, uh, you know, it's usually sitting in my house. (laughs) Um, So instead, I'm going to ask, what are you most looking forward to doing um, when restrictions are a little bit more relaxed? That's such a great question, Savannah. I think we're all looking at winter with a little doom and gloom because we'll all be stuck inside, but then we look back six months and realize we've all been stuck inside. Um, I really look forward to, um, on the flip side of this pandemic, I really just want to take my son to a park and 
watch him play with other little kids who we've never met before and just really get him woven into the social fabric that is Chicago. And that is why I love Chicago so much. And I want to be able to do that without having to wear a mask or be worried about, you know, whether my son puts his hands in his mouth before I can get hand sanitizer on his hands. And so I just want that no boundaries social experience in Chicago. And I really miss it. And, and I'm looking forward to hopefully as the weather warms up again next year, being able to actually indulge in it a little bit more. Yeah, I can't imagine having a young child uh, during this. And whenever I uh, pass by these empty playgrounds, it looks sort of very dystopian. But as long as we're all healthy, it'll be worth it. Yes. Um, So my final question is usually... One thing on on little kids, their resilience is incredible. (laughs) And I've taken cues from my son when I've had some of my hardest days over the last seven months. And I look into his eyes... And he says, you know, with his eyes, he's like, mom, it's going to be okay. And his resilience is absolutely just heartwarming and it's motivating and helps me be a more resilient mom. So (laughs) while it's been difficult trying to explain to a toddler why they need to wear a mask, I also am very grateful that I can't even imagine I have him to help keep me calm and sane at my, you know, most stressful moments. Yeah, may we all have that. It's going to be okay yeah. <laughs> mentality. Um, I, I'm also very interested to hear um, since you have the architecture background. I always ask people what their favorite neighborhood of the city or favorite buildings. Do you have a favorite area in the city, and maybe why? Well, I am a sucker for tall buildings. I love being in a city so I can look at the skyline. I just think it's so enamoring. And my favorite building in the city and one of my favorite buildings of all time is the Sears Tower or Willis Tower. Um, I think it's just a marvel of structural engineering. And it was such an incredible feat when it was built And I can't help but just be so respectful of the innovation that it brought to where we are today in architecture and the buildings that we are building. Um, And so the Sears Tower, because I have to call it that, because that is the name that it had when I was younger, is my absolute favorite building. And I, I love what they're doing to reconnect that building with the sidewalk and with the five foot at the five foot scale. Um, and I'm incredibly excited to see how that turns out once we can all go back and enjoy being downtown at a more regular cadence. Um, but beyond that, I think it's just being on the lakefront in any neighborhood in the city is just incredible to have access to this immense fresh body of water and, you know, don't have to worry about sharks because I'm not an oceans person. So I really appreciate <laughs> being here Lake Michigan. It's yeah. definitely um, one of my calm and happy places. Yeah. And then my final question is always, um, you know, what advice would you give to a young person a young adult starting, I think you have infused this entire conversation with excellent pieces of advice. Um, It's very clear that, you you know, you live your own career through those pieces of advice. But if you just had one final sort of wrap up piece of advice, you might give a young person starting in architecture or real estate, what would that be? I think being present is very difficult to do today. We're so attached to our technology and to social media and and everything. It's so hard to be present. And if I were a student today and I had my smartphone sitting out on my desk all day, I would have such a hard time being present in my classes with my teachers and professors. And so put the phone away. I know I sound old or might be aging myself, but put the phone away and just be present in that moment that you are in sitting, learning, listening. Um, It's so critical and it's going to help you so much more in your career than you ever think. And in your personal lives, um, 
put it down, turn it off Mm -hmm. and just be present. Yeah, I think that's great advice, especially, you know, I just came out of many, many years of school and, um, you know, now you can have your laptop and your text messages can show up on your laptop and it can be very difficult, but I do think that's great advice, you know. You're paying to be there. Someone's paying for you to be there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just it's only like an hour, an hour and a half at a time. So, like, pay attention, (laughs) get your education, build in-person relationships. I think that's great advice. Absolutely. Um, So, Jenna, thank you again so much for joining us for this podcast. I've had a great time talking to you. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much. Savannah, thank you. It has been a pleasure and you'll have to let me know the results of the bar and I will send you virtual high fives because I have utmost confidence that's going to be great news. All right. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.
Thanks for